Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast, and thanks for joining us. We hope this encourages you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on how God is actively moving in your life. Enjoy the message. I am Steve Holder. I am the global pastor here at Bethel now. I was the lead pastor for 25 years and the associate pastor for 10, so 35 altogether. And I'm still here, and thank you for allowing me to continue to serve you guys. And uh, we've been serving last weekend. We were, last week we were in the Dominican Republic, and uh, we were there to dedicate the second floor that you guys uh, raised the money for and, and gave to, and uh, were able to dedicate the chairs, and we were able to celebrate 20 years at our church in the Guay Dominican Republic. 20 years, amen. <laughs> Let me just real quickly just give you a little bit of that because 20 years ago, we were preparing to build this church, this building you're in right now. And um, in 2000, somewhere around 2003 is actually when we built this building, but we were talking about it. We had finished the uh, Family Life Center, the GM uh, youth building over there now in uh, year 2000, and we were going to come over here and build on this property and a new auditorium. And so God spoke to our founding pastor, C.R. Holder, and said, let's build a church in the Guay Dominican Republic first. And so we raised $35,000 to build that church before we ever built this church. Amen. And um, so we built it, paid for it. And that's where we were celebrating last week. I'm going to show a few pictures of our trip. My wife and I together traveled. And thank you for praying for us. This is Pastor Ellie. And his family on my left, and uh, they received a plaque from the church for 20 years, and a great celebration. That's his beautiful family there, Oto, and Lena, and Jesse, and his wife, Josie, and, and Pastor Ellie, and Sharon, and myself. We were on television, national television, last uh, Friday. We got in on Thursday night late, and uh, we were on, on TV for, uh, Friday morning, went right to work. This is a YWAM team that was with us uh, down there that was, happened to be there at the same time, and uh, so we worked together, coordinated. Oto was hosting them, Pastor Ellie's oldest son, and so we worked together. We served together. It was a great, great time, and uh, this is the chairs that you guys bought that we dedicated, and uh, all of they're beautiful, and the, the, the building's beautiful, and uh, continue. Go ahead. Quickly, and uh, this every seat was full. The only reason why you see some seats empty is because they're up on stage. The dance team worshipers were up on stage doing uh, their worship, and so um, that was it. We were eating in a local home there, Maria and Pedro. Uh, Pedro's at the end of the table there, and uh, his wife Maria there, and we ate in their home along with Pastor Ellie and Pastor uh, Leonel. Uh, this is uh, Pastor Leonel and his wife, Joanna, my wife and I. Uh, this is the church that we uh, helped start two years ago. We ordained Pastor Leonel and his wife, Joanna, and they're doing a fantastic job there in Southern Iguay. This is a different church, but in Southern Iguay. This is the upstairs of Pastor Ellie's church in, in our, our main campus in Iguay. And uh, as you can see, they were already using it. YWAM was staying upstairs. <laughs> And uh, over the weekend, and uh, that's hallway, but it's all finished and looks great. Uh, have a bathroom, have a shower up there, uh, so it, it's, it's really accommodating for education, all types of purpose, multi-purpose, next one. 
This lady here sitting here on the front with her um, leg on a stool and all wrapped up. While I was, we were preaching, I preached on a message called Praise is a Choice. And you praise God. We don't praise God just after victories, right? We praise God even when we're going in the valley. We praise God even when we're facing difficulties. And so I'm preaching on that. I'm preaching about Paul and Silas who were praising God at midnight, right? And they had suffered, you know, were beaten and, and uh, were put in jail for their faith. And, and uh, no doubt, you know, fever had set in, no doubt the sores and everything, uh, you know, it wasn't a good condition. But they started singing and praising the Lord anyway. So I just want to, you know, I, I'm just preaching this message that we praise God in the... And for some of you, you need to hear that because you're going through some stuff and, and you're going through some challenges and you need to hear... God wants you to praise him through it all, right in the middle of it all. Don't, don't, don't let that circumstance take your praise. And so I'm preaching that, and the lady gives a testimony after the service. We prayed for her. We laid hands on her. But she said during the service while we were preaching, she said something began to go warm through her leg. She began to feel this warmth through her leg. And uh, before it was over with, she walked out of there, and uh, uh, she was rejoicing. But the next day, she had, had, it was scheduled for her to go to the hospital. She went to the hospital, went to her doctor, and she was scheduled to have that foot amputated. But when she got to the doctor Monday morning, the doctor said, I don't know how this has happened, but you have blood flow in this foot now. And we are not going to amputate. We are not going to amputate. And I mean, she was on the phone. What happened to me? How, what in, uh, you know, she was just beside herself, elated, uh, sent a message. Pastor Ellie interpreted it and, and played the message for us. She was just overjoyed that God touched her in such a way. And, uh, but that, that was awesome. Uh, God's just, he's amazing. Amen. Uh, and there we are preaching. Uh, kind of let's see what it's like. See that? <laughs> okay. We could just play that. <laughs> I wouldn't even have to speak today. Is there another is there another picture or two up? Is, there's not. Okay, thank you. Um I'm going to give you a description of it. Um, the piece of land, we, we also were there not only to do these celebrations, these dedications, we were there to visit properties for planting a new church in the Punakana area. And um, so we visited three different properties and we picked out one that we think will be the best, you know, along with the leadership there in the Dominican Republic. And um, the property that we picked out is in a developing community and uh, residential community but the way things work over there, once you build a church, they just flock to it, you know, and they start building their homes all around it. But um, we have several houses already being built in that, that development, but it's facing a park. Our property will be facing a park if we're able to get this property. And uh, it'll give us an opportunity. It'll, it'll be a green area. It'll, it'll be great for ministry. It'll be great for the community. It'll be an area where we could feed the community. It'll be an area where we could do uh, kids ministry in the community. Um, it'd just be a great opportunity to have this. And so uh, 
I'm even going to pray for it and believe God that we're going to be able to get it. Amen. Thank you all for doing that. I, I really appreciate it. I know we've been in a series on Be the Church, and, uh, and we certainly uh, have also been sharing with you on what's coming up in September with uh, Recovery Alive. We're so excited about it. So uh, just thanking God for this opportunity. It's, it's a tremendous blessing, tremendous ministry, and uh, we can't wait to see what God is going to do through RA. And um, so I, I'm going to be sharing with you today um, on being the church, continuing. My mom and dad, as you saw a picture of them a few moments ago, um, they, um, <laughs> they, were, they were quite the couple. They, they, they were wonderful. They were loving people. My, my parents, I have no uh, you know, bad memories of my parents. They, they were just godly people and uh, just awesome. Had a lot of fun. Uh, my, my parents loved to have fun, loved to laugh and and uh, so things at home were, were joyful. Not always. Every family has its ups and downs. But my mom and dad were, were quite a hoot. And uh, one of the things that, that uh, funny stories they had, that they had a cousin who had died. And so um, most of my, our, the Holder side of family all are up around Mount Airy. Anybody been in Mount Airy foothills of the Blue Ridge? You've been up in that area. You've been to Winston-Salem. You'll see, you know, there's holders up in that area, and um, that's where, you know, a lot of more. So this cousin had died, and so my mom and dad drove three hours to Mount Airy, North Carolina, to attend the funeral. And they walked down the aisle when they got there at the church to view the body, and standing over the casket, they got into an argument and started arguing. And, and they were pretty good at arguing. <laughs> I think they like to argue because they enjoyed making up. You know, it's kind of fun, isn't it, making up? But, um, but they were arguing over the casket, and, and they were arguing over who it, who it was in the casket. And my dad said, this is not my cousin. And my mom said, yes, it is, Corbett. He's just been sick and lost weight. <laughs> of course, he's just died, but... <laughs> when it's all said and done, that was not the person they thought it was. And what makes it even funnier is when they turned around to go back to their seat, the guy that they were thought they were there for his funeral comes walking down the aisle. <laughs> I'm telling you. And um, so, like any good funeral attenders, they did what you're supposed to do. They sat down and, and you know, honored the, the deceased. And I don't know if they ever figured out who the deceased was, <laughs> but they sat down and honored him and, uh, and stayed for the food and, and the fellowship and, and came home and told us about this story of going to a funeral of somebody they didn't know. <laughs> you know, uh, how many of you have ever missed the message in something before? <laughs> how many of you have ever overlooked or maybe misunderstood the message, you, you thought you were doing something right, but you, maybe it just didn't turn out like you thought. For mom and dad, it only resulted in a misunderstanding. But when it comes to Jesus, the consequences are much more significant. We cannot be the church. We cannot have RA without what I'm going to talk about today. We can't have it. We can't strengthen the home without it. We can't change the community without it. We can't reach the world without it. 
We, I can't even do what I'm doing up here without it. We can't even be here. And so Jesus came to this earth with a specific message. Very specific message. His teachings, his miracles, his reactions to people, his death, his resurrection, all communicate one main message, one main point. And it's, uh, honestly, it's, it's easy to miss it sometimes. <clears throat> I know I have. This can happen to the best of us, though, and it probably has. Every good-hearted person sitting in here, every good-intentioned person, every spiritual-minded person, I want to emphasize that, even spiritual-minded people can overlook it. We might have a version of the message, but we miss the main point. We miss the main theme. And the problem is if we miss his message long enough, we will end up somewhere God doesn't want us to be. And we won't like the consequences. I find many people are somewhat, as I travel, are spiritually confused and worn out. Not because Christianity is hard or God is some kind of killjoy or tyrant, but because they miss what Jesus came to say. And you're going to get frustrated with RA if you, don't, if you miss what Jesus came to say. You're going to get frustrated with being the church if you miss what Jesus came to say. You're going to get frustrated with people if you miss what Jesus came to say. You can get frustrated with me. Some people think that Jesus came to just make us talk better. Some people think that Jesus just came so that we would act better or we would be better. And so therefore we put the emphasis on the message on just simply behavioral change. There's so much more than that. Sometimes we think it's about fixing ourselves and those around us. Others think Jesus came to create a religious clique or club or some kind of, you know, um, super spiritual group that <laughs> elitist. I don't want to miss what Jesus came to say. Do you? How many of you don't want to miss what Jesus came to say? I don't want to miss what he came to say. And I'm sure you in here don't either. So what is his message? What is his message? Whom is it for? And the answer might surprise you. But I pray that it will impact your life forever. And empower you to be the church. Let's look at a story to answer that question. Look in Matthew chapter 9 for just a moment. If you have your Bible, smartphones, dumb phones, whatever you use. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 9 through 13. We believe from the New Living Translation. Jesus was walking along. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Did you get that? He invited Jesus 
to his house. Tax collectors and disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. I want you to show mercy. Jesus said that. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Before he met Jesus, Matthew was a tax collector. Now, you probably didn't think twice about that when I said it, or you didn't blush, or you didn't gasp, or you didn't, you didn't have any, you know, I, I, I guess, indignation. But anyone living in that day and culture would be very upset. In that day, he would have been what we would call a, a gangster, a crook, a fraud, an extortionist, a traitor, a liar, a thief. You could, you could, just, you could go on and on and on and on with the various uh, labels of sin that Matthew would, would have had at the top of his resume in the eyes of the Jewish people. In that day, he would have been all of those things. He would have been all the Godfather movies all wrapped up into one. He would have been it. Rome was in charge. They would kill, they would rape, they would enslave the children of the cities and the countries they conquered. And guess what? Matthew joined the church of Rome. He joined Rome. He, he, he abandoned his people. Matthew was his Greek name. His original name was Levi, which was his Jewish name. He turned his back so much on the Jewish people that he changed his name to a Greek name, Matthew. He turned his back on Israel. He betrayed the people for a paycheck. He was a bully. He was a thief of his own people. Matthew had been born into the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, but he didn't even care about it. He only cared about money, power, and notoriety. Can anybody think of somebody like that? Can you think of some people who have that same resume? Maybe, can you think even ourselves? Maybe our labels are just different. Matthew, instead of being Levi the Jew, he chose a new identity. Matthew the tax collector, the traitor, the extortionist. By working for Rome, Matthew had turned his back on his Jewish heritage, his legacy, his foundation. Matthew was a textbook sinner. He was a prime example of people the Messiah would one day judge <laughs> with a strong arm. Yet Jesus called him. He called him by name. He knew his name. 
Matthew. He knew his resume. He knew everything about him. He knew all the intricate details of his life. And he was a prime example. And Jesus called him just like that. Sometimes we look at it very casually, but when you stop to consider who this man was, when you really think about who Matthew was, you, you, begin, to think of, you begin to realize the implications are just overwhelming. Look at, just look at the reaction back then. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? We often get pushback from religious people, don't we? Religion, will, <laughs> religion is impatient with people's imperfections. Religion wants you to be perfect when you get here. Religion is everybody knows he's on drugs. He'll never get set free. That's religion. Everybody knows he's addicted to porn. She's on her third marriage. He's on his second Oh, I know him. He's, he's, a, he's a gang member. Oh, yeah, I know her. She's, she's, a, she's promiscuous. Can I, I could use a little more PG wording here but to get really real and raw with you, but I hope you get the message. Yeah, I, I know her. She's a prostitute. Yeah, yeah, I know him. He hangs out at the club. You see... We often get pushback from religion. And we label people. And then we write them off. We write them off that they'll never be any, they'll always have that identity and they'll never be any different. But that's not Jesus. That's not his message. That's not the message of being the church. When you're, when you're going to be the church, you're going to have to deal with people's mess. You're going to have to deal, if you're going to do RA, you're going to have to deal with people's junk in their trunk and help them process it and get it out of them and get them free so that the rivers of living water can flow out of their innermost being. But you've got to dig through. You've got to help them discover there's gold. You got to help them find the gold. You're not digging for dirt. You're digging for gold. We often try to correct people before we connect people. We often try to clean our fish before we catch them. If you'll do this, then you can come. No, that's not the message of Jesus. Not Jesus. We see a man who time and time again went out of his way to befriend people. We see a man who went out of his way to meet and build a relationship with the ostracized. We see a man who went out of his way to meet people and build a relationship with those that had been labeled by society as never to change or never to be any different. Those that were rejected by society. I want to give you some good news and some true news right now. Every sinner has a future. 
And every saint has a past. Many of those that Jesus befriended became world-famous leaders in the church, but in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of religion, they would have never qualified. This is why Jesus was even given... Does anybody have a nickname in here? Who has a nickname? Who has nicknames? You got, what's your nickname, Nate? Butch. Butch. And you, you got me going this morning, brother, when you were rejoicing. <laughs> Anybody else who's got a nickname? What's your nickname? What? Trail. We haven't been down that trail. Anybody else got a nickname? Who else? Right there? What's his nickname? Okay, I better stop there. <laughs> I had a nickname in, in high school. My nickname was so long, it's longer than some churches' names. I, I, I had... Uh, one guy called me Rev all, all school. He just called me Rev. And, uh, but the one that kind of got a hold of me there in high school was Steve Cake Stump Holder Boulder. <laughs> and I would walk down the aisle and you'd hear people say, hey, Steve Cake Stump Holder Boulder. I mean, they'd, they'd name them all, every single one of them. And uh, it was Steve Cake because I love cake, as you can tell. Um, and I enjoyed it. But now I can't. And uh, stump because I was played football and holder boulder. I I don't I think that just rhymes. So people like doing it. So Jesus had a nickname. His nickname was was not a super spiritual nickname either. His nickname was friend of sinners. Oh, there, there's that friend of sinners. That that rabbi is a friend of sinners. You got to be willing to be called that to be the church. If you're going to really be the church. You got to walk with people through their processes. There was three men who walked by the, the, the man on the road to Jericho who had been beaten and robbed and left for dead. Two of them were spiritual. One of them was a Samaritan. And the Samaritan got in the ditch with him. You're going to have to be willing to get in the ditch with some people. And I want to say this right now because I think some of us, sometimes we think that people are beyond redemption. Have you seen the movie Chosen? Yeah, or, or the show Chosen? Y'all watch the show Chosen? It's a great show. If you haven't, you, you need to get it. Get on I think it's on Peacock, the app Peacock. You can get it. But on that show, Matthew is, is so ostracized by the Pharisees, by the Jews, until when the guy brings him into town, he makes him stay under the covers in his wagon so he can't be identified. Ostracized, rejected. That's the kind of people that Jesus called on his team. Sorry, Matthew. I had to apologize to my Matthew, too, this morning when I preached this message. It really means the gift of God, so you're, 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 you're good. If your name's Matthew in here, you're good. I'm not. But Jesus was a friend of sinners. 
He was accused of hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors. It's hard to swallow, isn't it? <laughs> Sometimes it's hard, to, it's hard to really fathom that the Son of God would put relationship over perfection. Because we're so prone to want people to be perfect in order to qualify to have a relationship. Are you hearing me? Are you listening? Please listen. We, we, we have, we, I, I, honestly, if we're going to help people, they have to know that they're in a, I'm going to go ahead and give you the message right now. You ready for it? Drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. Here's the message. Throw it up on the screen. It's grace. It's grace. Were it not for the grace of God, where would we be? Were it not for his grace? Oh my. I just want to cry right now. Because of the grace of God. Paul, the great apostle Paul, who said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Grace. What is grace? It's the main message. It's the main message. It's not behavioral change. It's grace. It's God's grace that is greater than all my sin. I got junk in my trunk, y'all. I got mess in my past. But thank God... His grace is sufficient. And you might identify with a, a corrupt, fraudulent, thieving, lying Matthew. But Jesus said, follow me. And he went into his house. And he had dinner with him. And the Pharisee temple police had their cameras video in him so that they had the goods on Jesus. He was caught. This guy is a fraud. He's not a rabbi. No, he's the son of God. <laughs> he's the great I am that I am. <laughs> Grace is the main message from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. It wasn't Adam and Eve looking for God. It was God looking for Adam and Eve. Why? Grace. That's the message from the very outset. Before there was ever a sin, there was already a Savior. Why? Grace. What is grace? Grace is I, I get what I don't deserve. I don't deserve this. We don't deserve this forgiveness. We don't deserve this freedom. We don't deserve, deserve this. But it's because of God's grace that you and I can be free from the sin of the past, from the mistakes of yesterday. His grace is more than sufficient. Can somebody say amen? amen? The pattern of Jesus 
is relationship first, then comes change. Amen? Then comes change. Now, grace is not a license to sin. I want to go ahead and tell you right now, this is not greasy grace. This is God's grace. And it's not a license for us to just, you know, disobey God, rebel against God. There is grace. The Bible says in 1 John, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That is to say, Jesus Christ. Grace means now all your mistakes serve a purpose rather than serving shame. I just want to speak to somebody here right now that has been living underneath condemnation and shame. You need to realize that God's grace covers your sin. He wants you to be free from that shame and that guilt. He doesn't want you walking in just like he didn't want Matthew living in it anymore. He doesn't want you living in it anymore. Just like he didn't want Mary Magdalene living in demon possession anymore. He set her free. He delivered her. He gave her a new life and he wants to do the same for you. The message is grace. I want to challenge us today for those of us who are here, we're believers Let's be willing to find the Pharisee inside of us. It was the Pharisees that were accusing Jesus. It was the Pharisees that were telling him that he was a friend of sinners. It was the Pharisees that were, were attacking him. Let's make sure, let's check ourselves and find if there is a Pharisee within us. The message of grace will never check the religious boxes because it's based on relationship. Jesus had a relationship with Matthew, and then he discipled him through that relationship. Jesus never went to the party to let the party in him, but he did go to the party to get the partier in him. He was at the wedding. He was at the dinner. Why was he at this dinner? Why was he eating with such scum? Because he wanted them to be in him. And so he went to their house. He had a relationship with them and he led them into a relationship with the Son of God. And as a result, they were changed. Amen? The message of Jesus is grace. It was grace. It's still grace. From the garden to the cross to the crucifixion, it's grace. Till today, it's grace. I want to leave you with these things right and now, and then we're going to have a testimony. Grace. We're going to have a testimony of grace. Grace is a gift. You can't earn it. It's a gift. It's the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. You can't earn it. It's only by grace. Through faith can we be saved. Amen? It's only by grace through faith can you be saved. So it's a gift. Receive the gift. You can put a gift under the Christmas tree, but until you open it, you don't know what it is. You need to open up the gift that God has given to us through Jesus Christ and receive him. Secondly, grace is where recovery happens. You're going to, in recovery alive, they're going to, you, you walk with, with people through their addictions, through their problems, through their difficulties, through their challenges. 
And it's for the purpose of recovery. God wants you to recover more than you want to recover. God wants you to be restored more than you want to be restored. God wants you redeemed. So it's recovery. It's accountability. You need people in your life that that hold you accountable, that hold us accountable, that, that you can talk to, that you can confide in, that will confidentially work with you in your process of development and growth and discipleship. Thank God for those in our lives, amen, who have held us accountable. Praise God. And then there's compassion. It's the compassion of God. Grace is his compassion gift. It's, It's the compassion that you and I extend to others. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And then the final thing is grace provides us with eternal life through Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we just lift our hands and thank him for the gift of eternal life? Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We celebrate you. We thank you for the grace of God. Were it not for his grace, where would we be? There was grace for the prodigal when he came to himself. There was grace for King David whenever he committed adultery with Bathsheba. There was grace for Peter when he denied Jesus by the fire. There was grace for the thief when he was hanging on the cross and didn't have time to get baptized or go through next steps or get a degree or he didn't have time to go through all the hoops and loops. Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise because of grace. The thief didn't have time to earn anything. It was only by grace that he was saved. Amen. Come on, praise him today. Thank God. Come on. Beth is going to come and share a powerful testimony of God's grace. And we'll close this service. Amen. People who need recovery, alive, they're going to get it through grace. People that need Bethel Church, the only way that Bethel Church is going to be the church is we're going to have to operate in grace. Amen. Thank God for his grace. Come on, Beth. Mute. Ah, there we go. So I was lamenting. They asked me to do a quick, a short version of my testimony. So I got it, chopped it down to 10 minutes and I was lamenting. Did I pull the right pieces out? Did I leave the right, leave the right pieces in? And when Pastor Steve talked about be thankful in the good and the bad. And then he quoted my favorite Bible verse. I said, yeah, I think I'm on the right track. So I'm going to sh- share with you guys. My name is Beth, and I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with codependency, self-worth, and eating disorders. I cannot say that my childhood was anything out of the ordinary. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Dad worked as hard as he could to provide for our family. There were three of us kids. I have an identical twin sister named Emily and a brother named Brian. Life growing up with a twin sister was great. Emily was more outgoing than I was. And that's okay because we were a package deal. Emily did all the talking and once she got her foot in the door, we were both in. I was extremely shy and enjoyed letting her take the lead. People love to check us out and see if they can tell us apart. 
During the detailing process, a pattern emerged. Beth is bigger than Emily. That's how I can tell them apart. Folks would be rather proud of themselves for pointing out that I was about 10 pounds heavier than my sister. I was not an overweight child, but I was bigger than Emily and that was my identity. I saw myself as the less desirable twin because I was the heavy set, round faced one. This negative assessment made me feel rejected and less than. I felt like Emily was being chosen over me. And of course, society tells our girls that being fat is a bad thing. You need to be thin and beautiful to be successful and accepted. In high school, I realized that if I could skip meals or restrict what I did eat, I could lose weight. Soon it was hard for friends and family to tell the twins apart, and I loved it. In April of 1991, I was a junior in high school when I met a guy. He moved from West Virginia into the house next door. He was 17 and I was 15. He moved to North Carolina to stay with his aunt and uncle for a while. He was having trouble back in West Virginia. Little did I know of the trouble he was leaving behind, including a one-month-old daughter. We started dated, dated through high school, and I got married to him in 1995 at the age of 19. I never met anyone like him. He was good at manipulating people. He called it being persuasive. I noticed he would often elaborate on truths, and then I realized many statements were just lies. I was told very frankly that I could not disagree with him in public. No matter what he said, I was to back him with no exceptions. When I found myself in those situations, I would usually nod because I did not want to verbally condemn myself when I knew the truth was not being told. Along the way, we had two beautiful children, a girl born in 1999 and a boy in 2003. Being married to him was like riding a roller coaster with no harness or seat belt. I never knew what was around the next corner. We were separated twice before the third and final separation. Along the way, he was diagnosed with more than one personality disorder, and he did not pursue medical help for his mental illnesses. He would unload all of his negative and evil thoughts on me. He said he needed to tell me so he would not carry out any of his thoughts. He would corner me in the bathroom or the garage or wherever and tell me his horrible thought processes for what seemed like an eternity but was usually an hour or two. I told him I did not want to hear it, but I would not be allowed to leave. I found myself in the unwanted role of a security guard. I felt like I had to protect the world from him and on the flip side, not let the world find him out either. I thought if I could do things better, maybe he would be happy. If I agreed to let him do this or do that, perhaps he would find peace. I loved him and I wanted him to love me. He had more than one affair while we were married. I forgave him each time and I prayed that God would set us on the right path. But rumors of infidelity continued. And if I asked him about the rumors, he would tell me I needed to get over the past and just trust him. As the years ticked by, his behavior became more unpredictable and erratic. I would tell him the only predictable thing about him was his unpredictability, and he thought this was a badge of honor. We were married for over 23 years, and in that time, we had 10 houses and over 120 vehicles. I would joke with him that I was the only thing he wanted to keep. At one time, my sister, my twin sister and I, we were neighbors. We built houses side by side. My dream come true. We could walk over and hang out. It would be awesome. But none of these things ever happened. Shortly after completing the houses, my then husband erected a fence right down the property line. He said he couldn't stand to look over at my sister and brother-in-law's house. He said it made him sick to his stomach. He would tell me, I want to go over there and be the devil. And if you weren't here, I would be the devil I want to be. And if you ever leave, I can't promise you anything. I don't know what will happen. I would tell him not to say these things to me, but he insisted that I needed to hear it so he wouldn't carry them out. 
My brother and sister went to a recovery program at Temple on Friday nights, and the ex told me it was a cult and I shouldn't go. My brother Brian gave his testimony the very first time I went to RA. My sister Emily and his wife Kat introduced him to the stage, and as I sat in my seat, I felt so alone. I wanted so desperately to be on the stage with them. I felt as if I wasn't a part of the family anymore. I felt rejected. My ex never wanted to go to family functions, and if I went, I had to listen to him degrade my family when I returned home. It was to the point I didn't want to go either. It wasn't worth the trade-off. Brian gave his testimony, and I was so proud of him. God had done a miracle in his life. He had been sober for two years at that time. So in a true codependent fashion, I decided I was going to help fix my ex. I started going to RA every Friday night, and I would invite him to come as I pulled out of the driveway, and he would decline. After the third or fourth invite, he had had enough. He told me on a Saturday morning that he had a dream. I kept inviting him to RA, and he bit the lips off my face. Stop, coming, stop asking me to go to church was his message, so I did not ask him again. I had been going to RA for about four months in my quest to find a fix when he announced to me that he wanted a divorce. The day he told me he wanted a divorce, I remember very vividly sitting in the front seat of my car. Tears of hurt and pure agonizing heartbreak streamed down my face, and at the same time I was thinking to myself, oh my God, he's gonna let me go. I'm gonna get out of this. I'm gonna be free of all of this. I found out the following week he was announcing to his co-workers that the divorce was already final and he was already single, showing off pictures of his new girlfriend. I knew my 23-year marriage was really over this time and I was gonna need God's help. I had tried everything I knew possible to make it work, but my best was not good enough. I had no control over the situation. I moved out of the house. I did not wanna stay there. My kids were 19 and 15 at the time. The new house we built beside my sister was soon sold. The kids came, hang out, came to hang out with me a few times at my little rental house, but they were not happy with me for leaving. Their dad had already prepared them that I was gonna leave before he even told me he wanted a divorce. Only a month into the separation, they announced to me that they would not be back at my house and didn't know when they would see me again. That night, they blocked me on their phones. And that's been it. I haven't heard or seen anything from my son since May the 7th of 2019. My daughter sent me an email shortly after that night asking me to stop texting or trying to make contact. She said she wasn't ready to continue a relationship with me yet. My kid's rejection is the most heartbreaking rejection of all. To be rejected by my own children is a pain like I have never felt before. I had done my absolute best to shelter them from the craziness of their father, and apparently I had done too good of a job. And this is where recovery became pivotal in my life. I knew I needed Jesus like never before. I lost over 25 pounds in the first month we were separated. Food was the only thing I had control over in my life. And if I didn't want to eat, I didn't have to. I could reject food just as I had been rejected. Besides, I didn't deserve to eat. What kind of mom has her own children walk away from her and not even look back? That mom doesn't deserve to be happy. That mom doesn't deserve to live. So a slow starvation to death would work fine for me. I believe that I deserve to suffer. And that's what the devil wanted me to think. I didn't deserve to enjoy food. So if I did, I would feel so ashamed and so mad with myself, I would throw it up. I needed to show some form of control over my life and that was the only way I could. And it took me a few months to realize that my kids were out of my hands. It didn't matter what I did or how much I ate. 
the hardest thing that I have ever done in my life is give my kids to God. And I know He has them. He loves them more than I do. God has already reconnected me with my family. He brought people into my life who care about me and love me. They have all cried with me and prayed with me. And God also saw fit to place a God-fearing, Jesus-loving man in my path. And while Rich and I dated, we observed God's law in our relationship, and now we're married. God is going to restore the years the swarming locusts have eaten. We even bought the lot on the other side of my sister's house, and we're going to be neighbors after all. When I started recovery, I immediately knew I wanted to be involved and stand with my family to go after that one more, and it is all coming to fruition. The picture didn't look like I thought it was going to. My God made it even better. Psalms 37, 5 says, Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him, and He will help you. I committed to a process group, and God used those ladies to minister to me in my darkest hours. I am currently in another process group because I haven't arrived yet. So I'm pretty sure there will be another one in my future. God's work is never done. I am still in recovery. I am still waiting on my kids, but I refuse to give the devil place and I will not waste this season of waiting. My favorite verse in the Bible is Psalms 156. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It doesn't matter how the situation looks. It doesn't matter how good or bad things are. God deserves my praises, and He has a plan for me because I am a child of God. Thank y'all for letting me share. Praise God. Come on, give the Lord a praise for her testimony. Amen. Come on, Rich. Come on up. And um, praise God. Hallelujah. Can I just feel like we, I just want to pray for Beth and Rich. I know we're going to pray for RA, but I just want to pray for them. Hearing this, her testimony, knowing her story now, God, I just pray for this couple. Pray for the healing in this home. God, I pray for the healing with these children. God, I know you're, you're, you're working even now. We've already begun to see the evidence of it. Our faith is connected with them. There's going to be a restoration with these children. God, I pray that there's going to be understanding, that they're going to be able to see clearly and not be clouded with deception and with uh, manipulation. But God, I thank you, Lord, for restoration for this mother. I thank you for healing, Lord. I pray even for this ex-husband, God, that you would deliver him. God, he needs a deliverance. Set him free. God, we're, we're, your, your grace is for all of us. So God, work. And thank you for this couple. Thank you for bringing them together, Lord, and, and for such a time as this. And I pray for this Recovery Alive ministry, that it'll reach people, Lord, to the very extremes. And it'll bring life change and freedom to their hearts and souls and minds and spirits. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. If you're here today, you Recovery Alive starting up September? September 3rd. September 3rd. And that's uh, just a few months away. Today's May 3rd. So um, if you're volunteering, want to volunteer, want to be a part of RA, which is bringing life change like you've just heard, it's with grace. And you want to use your grace gift to help people. 
Praise God. We want, I want you to come now. Those of you that are volunteering, those of you who are planning to serve, come on, we're going to pray over you today. Thank you. Come on, let's give it up as they come down here this, today. Praise God. Hallelujah. God bless you. Awesome. We had a full group in the early service. Amen. Now, once, you know, Recovery Alive starts, those of you that may not be serving, you can still come. And maybe you're like, you're struggling. You've got some things going on in your life. Um, we all do. And we need help. And uh, it's a great place to get help at, at RA. I've attended one over at Temple. I was blessed. Um, that was the beginning of my, right after that, I was sick, but that didn't cause it. <laughs> but, uh, but I couldn't enjoy it like I wanted to. But um, it was powerful. And uh, so I know uh, God's going to use this. And so praise God. With every head bowed for just a moment, every eye closed. You're here today and you say, Pastor Steve, I need that grace you talked about. I need God's grace. I need His forgiveness. I have unconfessed sin in my life. I'm not serving the Lord. I'm not where I should be with God. But I want to repent today. I want to ask Him to forgive me and I want to receive Him as, as the Lord of my life. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if that's you today, would, would you just slip up your hand? Let me see it. We're going to pray together. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up right now. You need that grace. Yes, I see your hand in the back too. God bless you. Hallelujah. Come on. Hallelujah. We're going to pray now. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. You that raised your hands, you that raised your hands, I want you to pray this with me right now. Say, Jesus, I believe in you and your grace for me, your gift of salvation. I receive you today. I confess my sin. I repent of my sin. Now I'm going to forsake my sin and I'm going to live for you. Come on, pray it right now, guys. Jesus, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to need your grace, God, to walk with me every day. But I want to keep my hand in your hand. Come on, pray it right now. Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you like Matthew. And I want to make it to be with you for all eternity. Jesus, thank you for saving me today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Hey guys, you just prayed that prayer. He just gave you his gift of grace and he forgave you. Hallelujah. Amen. Now tell somebody, sign up for next steps. Get, get in the next baptism line. I mean, we're going to have water baptism. But go public with your faith. Amen. Pastor Daniel going to come and pray over our RA volunteers and team. Thank you all for allowing me to preach to you today. It's been a joy. Thank you. We hope that you have been encouraged today. And if you're looking for more information about who we are as a church, you can visit us online at BethelChurch.info. Be sure to join us again next week as we continue to grow together in God's Word.